Hey, and welcome to Tomorrow. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. Today on the podcast, we discuss Simon Belmont, Richter Belmont, and Trevor Belmont. I don't want to waste one minute. Let's get right into it. All right, well, here we are. We're back. Hello. We, now, we should say, uh, we, we missed last week's episode because Ryan I had a died. kidney infection. <laughs> he died. He was legally dead for 15 minutes, uh, and then I gave him mouth-to-mouth, and he came back to life. Not because the mouth-to-mouth was successful, because I'm great. I'm a great kisser, and uh, <laughs> I, don't I don't know what wait, any of this means. This but is, uh, no, you had wait. a kidney infection. Yes, um, but yeah, I'm feeling better now. I've been on antibiotics. We're all back in action, so it's good to be back. Okay, good. I was, uh, I wasn't, uh, I didn't want to stop talking, but I had to clear my throat because we are in, uh, I don't know if you know this, but it's October. Uh, is this our first podcast of October? I think it is. It is. And d- due to your uh, bad kidneys. Um, and uh, y- as you know, uh, October is the best month, in my opinion. Now, I like the summer. A lot of people don't. I know a lot of people. I'm surrounded by people who are always complaining about the summer. Um, but I like it. I enjoy every season for like a month, but summer's the one I get sick of the fastest. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't I don't feel that way, and yet I can understand why people do feel that way. But but a lot of people love the fall, and I love the fall, and I think it's the greatest season. Yeah, uh, but probably the best one. I think it's the best season, but I also I mean, to me, summer and fall are equal. You know, spring's pretty good, too. I'll be honest with you. The only season I don't like is winter, and I really don't like it, and I have no interest in it, and I'm, you know, like, I'd be happy if I, it was like, we get one day of great snow, and then that, I'm good. Like, I'm, I feel like I can, you know, I don't mind it getting cold, to be honest. I do mind it getting shitty, which it often does now uh, where we live, but, um, <clears throat> Sorry, this is actually getting to my point about throat clearing. But anyhow, as soon as October hits, uh, I'm like dry, so dry. I mean, everything is just, the moisture is just sucked out of the air. I am I have like, my throat is dry. I'm coughing. Uh, you know, I've lost my sense of taste. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's nothing, but... <laughs> No, it's like, but I'm very dry. My lips are very dry. I was, I tweeted last night. I was like, I know it's crazy, but if I could have one superpower, it'd be to conjure a tube of lip balm, no matter where I am. Because it's true, like all the time I'm sitting, like I sit down, I'm like, I'm going to play a video game. And then my lips are just dry. I'm like, oh, I have it. My lips are so dry. I need to moisturize. I like that all these people on Twitter are like, just stop using it and you won't need lip balm. It's like, dude, I stopped using it in all through the summer, okay? Like I wasn't balming and then it got dry and now my lips are dry. Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't think it's my diet. <clears throat> Sorry. Have you considered a humidifier? Get out of my fucking face with that humidifier bullshit. Okay. <laughs> if I want to be in a steam room, I'll go to the local bathhouse. Anyhow. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm very dry, but it's also October and October is a great month for lots of different reasons. Um, one is it's my birthday month. Uh, which I'm not a big fan of birthdays, but you know, whatever it's Halloween. It's the month of Halloween. It's spooky season as we like to uh, refer to it, which is Halloween is in my opinion, the best holiday because it's uh, the one holiday where you can be someone else, which is my great dream in life. And, uh, and, uh, it also, it's the month of my anniversary, uh, 
And it's really like when the when the when the fall vibes start to kick in truly, and you start to see the leaves turning. And anyhow, so it's very nice all around, very cozy. Um, but it is very fucking dry. And so if you notice that my voice sounds like it's been um, you know strained through a uh, you know like it's squeegeed out or whatever, then that is the reason. I'm trying to drink. <clears throat> I, I'm trying to drink coffee, but I don't think it's having much of an impact. I feel bad for Tony right now. He's got to hear this. Does my voice sound bad? I feel like it does. Um, you definitely sound different, but I don't know if it's bad. It's not like hard to listen to. The you think coughing I sound more? isn't great. <laughs> well, you'll you'll edit that out. I mean, no one will hear that. Oh, I'm making it louder. <laughs> Please don't. Please don't. Um, anyhow, it's been an interesting week. Uh, we've had a lot going on. We've had yeah. a lot going on. I I we just relaunched Mike.com. Uh, which is a website that you may remember and uh, and uh, or may not, but uh, anyhow, Mike.com, which is like ten years old, which is insane, is a website that uh, has has I remember many years ago going like, you know, just thinking, Mike is not the kind of website that I'm interested in, and I'm, <laughs> you know, like way before this company, the BDG that we work for, bought it. Uh, but, uh, and then it kind of like crashed and burned in a kind of very spectacular fashion was a, you would might say a model, uh, example of all of the things that are wrong with, with venture capital and media. Although we will get into that in a little bit, cause I want to talk about Aussie, which I don't think, <laughs> which I don't think we've talked about on the podcast yet. No. Have we? Okay. Oh okay, I got a lot, a lot to say about Aussie. Um, Aussie if, right now, Tony's like, what is Aussie? And Hey, you know what, you and every other person on the planet. But anyhow, but but so, you know, Mike was acquired by BDG before uh, we came to the company, before they acquired the outline and independent media. And uh, so we've spent the the last, you know, we've spent certainly the last year or so uh, uh, kind of like figuring out like what is the future of this site. And it's run by uh, Shante Cosme, who's an amazing editor-in-chief. Anyhow, go check it out, mike.com. It's a whole new world of of content and I think it's pretty goddamn great. So uh and I feel very proud of it. And I think it's really like something very different and something very uh needed uh in in the media landscape anyhow. So so go check it out. But I've been doing that. I that's been, you know, we just launched Gawker and then we, you know, obviously we have input and inverse and all these other things going on. But uh, you know, it's it seems like I don't know. I've I've launched a lot of websites. I feel like I feel like when it comes to launching websites, I'm very good at it, and I know a lot about it. <laughs> and and actually, there really aren't that many people who do it that often. And so, anyhow, if you need to launch a website, I'm your guy. Just talk to me. <laughs> um, but it, so I've been doing that, and then uh, you know, it's been you know, the kids are back in school. I only have one kid, but just kids generally. Uh, you know, it's it's we're getting into fall movie season, which is a little bit different. Uh, because well i don't know i guess everybody's now i i see these ads and people are going to the theaters and they're like oh like uh what's the what's the movie with um you know what's the last marvel movie shang chi yeah that's done bonkers business yeah i think it's pronounced shang chi am i am i crazy i think it's shang chi no i don't think so i'm not an expert i also haven't seen it because i don't it's definitely shang chi I don't know. At any rate, uh, did I just make that up? Um, at any did. rate, it's maybe I did. It's possible. Uh, but I haven't been to the theater because, you know, I'm still sort of making sure I don't get COVID, trying to not get COVID. So I just don't go to p- crowded indoor places, even though I think it's fairly safe now if people wear masks and stuff. But um, Dune, Dune apparently is people love Dune. Uh, 
What am I talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyhow, there's so fall it's movie fall season. movie season, right? And then there's other stuff happening. Uh, there's a there's a there's a new Batman movie that we're going to get a new trailer for pretty soon in two weeks. I'm excited. I don't know. It's hard. I'm like so tired of content. I mean, everybody's talking about Squid Game. Squid Game is a is a Korean show that is a Netflix produced Korean show that has captured the hearts and minds of all of the content viewing public and. And I'm sure it's good. I mean, I, I don't. I haven't seen it, but it I'm I'm inclined to believe that it's good. You know, but and I think we've talked about this before. I also think a major factor, like I'm gonna, I want to talk about The Sopranos for a second. But but a major factor of Squid Game being like the darling content conversation right now is that there really isn't a lot of content. Like there still isn't the way that we had the kind of flood of content, if you go back like a couple of years ago, there really isn't that much, you know? Like, it's like, it's kind of like every few weeks or every few months, there's one thing that everybody's watching. And I don't think it's just purely because it's so fucking good. We were talking about this with um with uh, the chess show. What is it called? The Queen's Gambit? Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying that Squid Game is the same. It may be better. I Again, I haven't seen it and I'm sure that it's very good. And, you know, I believe that, you know, I believe you. I don't think you're – I don't believe you're lying about Squid Game being good. That would be very strange. But I do think there's a thing going on where people just have a lot less stuff to watch right now. And so – and we've watched all the other stuff. And so we're kind of like, all right, you know, we're going to all mean, watch the, Squid the Game. the proof of this is that everyone hated mm-hmm. Nine Perfect Strangers and we all finished it because we were like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, and that's like Hulu. So that's, you know, that's like the third, fourth tier of online content. You know, well, if you haven't canceled Netflix yet, who are you? Well, I haven't canceled Netflix, but I am. I'll tell you what, I, and we have to talk about this. I am well, going to cancel my what? You definitely should. What? Cancel Netflix? Yeah. Why are we canceling Netflix now? Yes, we're all canceling Netflix. Why? Wait, what did they do? Because of Dave Chappelle posting a extremely transphobic and homophobic hour of comedy that was oh, just like so bad wait, recently. Yeah, that was yesterday. And oh, like it, it, his new thing is out? Yeah, and it's bad, bad. Like, really? Okay, like, okay. Like, hold on, hold on. I want to talk like about upsetting. this. Okay, I want to talk about that. I do, because I'm interested in that conversation. But I want to just round out this point. Okay. This point that I'm making. Because I want to just draw, bring it back to The Sopranos for a second. So, so, so anyhow, everybody's kind of like, yeah, okay, you know, Dave Chappelle, good example. Everybody's watching Dave Chappelle. I mean, everybody watches Dave Chappelle anyhow, but... uh. Uh, so Squid Game, everybody's talking about it, but then last week or a couple of weeks, the last few weeks, everybody's been talking about The Sopranos and there's this article in the New York Times Magazine, which is like, why everybody's watching The Sopranos? And it's like, and it's like, okay, first off, the article is, I mean, there's a lot of problems with the article, but let me just say, uh, it kind of is like why, how The Sopranos is about the fall of America about American decline and how it's about capitalism and blah 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 and all this stuff and it's like okay um and that's why you know this generation is like tuning into it you know these young people are tuning into the Sopranos and realizing that it's commentary on Gen X or the boomers or whatever it's like uh yeah but it was always commentary on all that stuff nothing about that has changed and it's like it's like we let's we cannot ignore the fact that that the Sopranos is part of a billion billion dollar, multi-billion dollar push from Warner Media 
to create a Netflix competitor called HBO Max. And one of the few things they have, oh, they have a handful of things, but one of the things they have is like some of the greatest prestige television from HBO, which is like, of course, that's going to be heavily promoted and pushed. Now, I guarantee you, so the creator of The Sopranos made a, a prequel movie to The Sopranos called The Many Saints of Newark, okay, about Tony Soprano as a teen or whatever. Now, I'm willing to bet dollars to donuts, of which I have neither, by the way, uh, that David Chase, the creator of The Sopranos, was paid enormous sums of money to do anything related to The Sopranos because they're like, we just need to make this relevant again and we need to have the heavy hitters in here because we really want people to subscribe to our streaming service that competes with Netflix, okay? But like, so we shouldn't pretend that it just bubbled up out of nowhere that The Sopranos was suddenly in the conversation. But also, going back to my first point, there's just not a lot of stuff to watch right now. Like we're not producing as much stuff as we used to because there's a pandemic. And there has been one for like two, going on two years. And so it's like, we're not living in the same reality that we were living in a couple of years ago. And I feel like people, it's a convenient thing to ignore for people that that is the case. Uh, anyhow, I just wanted to make that statement. I haven't seen the new Sopranos movie because I hear it's very bad and, you know, not surprising. It, it's fine. It's just not the Sopranos. It's just like a movie. And yeah, I don't, think I, that- I don't. I don't, I don't know that James Gandolfini's son was the person to play James Gandolfini. I think it's a clever bit of casting. I'm sure he's a fine act. I don't know if he's good or not. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it, he can it was act. Fine. It Presumably was fine. they wouldn't put him like, in if he couldn't act, but. I felt like with three days notice, I could cast someone to be a better James Gandolfini. And that's, you know, it is what it is. Like, you don't always get all your parents' traits. It just didn't feel, it felt more like for the press release. That's what I'm saying. This is my point. It's like. Yeah. It's like a generation of you want to generate this kind of noise because not for like some vague reason, like we have a great piece of art we need to share with you. I don't think David Chase was sitting around going like, God, if only somebody would give me the money to tell the story of a young Tony Soprano. I think he was sitting around going like, uh, I'm working on some new shit or I have some other project or whatever. And they're like, how much will it take to, for, to bring Tony Soprano back from the dead? You know? And he gave them a number and they said yes. And then that, then they made the movie. I think it's an, it's an act of capitalism far more than it's an act of, of art. And uh, anyhow, I'm not complaining about it. But I'm just saying, like, let's let's be aware of all the things that we're doing in reality here. Like, um, people are, any- people are, are weird about The Sopranos, though. Like, I feel like every month, there, month there's a viral tweet that's like, there hasn't been a good television show since The Sopranos. Everything is a pale imitation of The Sopranos. And it's like, yeah but if if I was a TV show runner, I would simply create a once in a generation sensation that came at a perfect moment in history by a network who took a chance on a complete artistic vision with some of the yeah. best actors that I've ever been born. Like, yeah, I guess I would make that if I could, but like, listen, can we all yeah. calm down? Mad Men was pretty good. Let's all it, calm uh, down. It is. No, I like, I, no, people are like, oh yeah, these other shows don't hold a candle to, now I will admit there are certain shows that are just, there's certain pieces of art that are just better a better you know repeat viewing or whatever than others but uh yes it's there's lots of there's lots of great stuff that a lot of people haven't seen that's the other thing is that you know we live in this now this continuum of of accessibility to all content like like there was a time when if you wanted to see and there's still i mean i i i uh for better or worse have has still occasionally run into a situation where i'm like boy, I really want to see this thing, 
but there's no way to get it. Like you can't stream it, you can't download well, it. Well, that no was bit, me with uh, no BitTorrent. With, with it's all uh, all that jazz. I wanted you to watch all that jazz. I ended up having to buy a Blu-ray DVD yeah. and giving it to you because there's no other yeah. way to watch the movie. Right. Uh, exactly. But you know, anyhow. But the point is that we kind of live in this 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 era where all obviously all this stuff is accessible, so it's a very different experience. If you want to just like check in with the Sopranos one day. It's not like it. What like you have to go buy a box set or like rent it from Blockbuster or something. You know, it's like very different. Anyhow, tell me about what's going on with Dave Chappelle because I I watched the trailer. I I had no awareness. Maybe I missed the date on it, but I had no awareness of how soon it was coming out. I was kind of like, uh, you know, I was sort of like, oh well, I'll check that out whenever it's available. But I don't look at Netflix every night, so he spent a bunch of time working out like. He wanted to do content about trans people, and he tried a bunch of different angles at different. Well, he's done clubs. this before. He's done it before. Oh, it gets him a ton of press and attention. He did. He did. But he did a whole thing where, like, he did a whole thing where he had some like really transphobic stuff, and then yeah. he did a a show, another show that where he like talked about the reaction to the transphobic stuff. Uh, you know, which which I can't remember if it was like better or worse or like did anything or had any effect, but he, I just he, remember it like being addressed in one of his one of he his. He tends uh, shows. to do things where it's like a rhetorical trick where he'll be like, Well, I'm talking about trans issues because people don't care about black issues. And it's like those are separate things. <laughs> like I, I wait, what? Like I, there are black trans people. What are you talking about? Like it, it's in any event, he 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 has something something about trans people really bothers him, and I mean he has declared himself a proud turf. He says he supports J.K. Rowling. He talked he talked shit about people's genitals. Like it's 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 really bad. It's like really yeah. out there, uh, so and there's really like, no defense for it. So he's so he's uh, so he's like literally says that he's a turf. Yeah, proudly. And what and what and what is the? I mean, obviously he's like. You know, it's a it's a bit of some type, but like, what is the? I don't think. I mean, it's a I gotta bit. watch it. But what's the explanation? No, there? here's the thing. Here's the thing. He used to do it as like a I'm a little stinker. Like this is what my friend Jacqueline, who who works who worked at Netflix and now will no longer work with them as an executive producer. Um, but she said he used to do this his trans bits in a way where he was like, I know I'm not supposed to say it, but I said it, <laughs> and it's like that's still bad. But now he's doing it from his, like, I'm Dave and I've got some wisdom to share for you. Here, I'm going to blow your mind. Right. It, it, people care about trans people and they shouldn't. And you're like, this isn't a joke. Like, there's no bit here. You're just telling us your grievances with trans people. Then he ends it by saying he knew a trans woman who killed herself. And that's why he can't be transphobic because he liked her. And it's like, mm. this is – what are you talking about? Is that it, not the bar? Okay, I got to reevaluate everything <laughs> I've been doing. I thought that was it. I thought as long as you could make that claim, <laughs> you were you could say whatever you wanted. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting, like – listen, I, I do I do think there is a space. There is some space in, in comedy in particular, but also just in general to have a conversation about, like, What's acceptable to say or where, you know, what is funny and what isn't or whatever. Like, there's there's lots of gray area. But, like, go in- right ahead and make trans jokes. There are so many funny things to to make fun of about trans people. Like, who volunteer? Like, literally someone tweeted this yesterday. Who's volunteering for multiple puberties? That's very funny. What isn't funny is, like, you're disgusting and a man. And I hope that people do violence against you. Like, what are you talking about? That's not yeah. a joke. 
I mean, I'm just like I'm reading through the commentary on Twitter, which I guess like he has a bit about Twitter or whatever. Like he's like, you know, Twitter's not real, so I don't care what people say on it, which, you know, listen, to his credit, I (laughs) to some degree, I agree with. I mean, like social media shit is insane. But like then it's like I mean, like the the I mean, listen, but but just because you don't know any queer people doesn't mean that we only exist on Twitter. We're all real people behind the accounts. You just don't want to know us unless it's through a layer of obfuscation where you can keep it at a remove. It's just people on the Internet. But like if you don't know any queer people in real life, that's on you, dude. There's like a lot of us. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's also like, you know, obviously whether or not like he is. Again, I haven't watched it. I'm just looking at some of the commentary and listening to what you're saying. But whether or not Dave Chappelle is like like actually a turf or thinks it's like a way to get a laugh or really cares about this conversation or, again, is playing the conversation for laughs, it's like it is one of those things. And I and listen, maybe the goal here, maybe the goal is and, and, and not to give him any credit, but like Dave Chappelle's like, listen. Whether or not I believe this is kind of irrelevant, if I say stuff about this community, there will be very vocal people in that community who'd start to talk about me and talk about my show. Let's just be like, let's be really cynical for a second, okay? No, of let's course. Say, I, I think this is entirely about attention. It, let's say Dave Chappelle doesn't actually have an opinion on the matter one way or the other. Okay? Oh, I think he's de- – I think you definitely have to – it has to start with a seed of transphobia. Sure. Okay. But I'm saying – there is an element to this, and again, I'm not defending. I'm just trying to kind of think about like where this comes from because there's lots of stuff. There are lots of targets, right? There are many great targets. But I do feel like in this case, you know, I think it's like he keeps going back to this area. Now, is it transphobia? I mean, personally for him, I I, I can't speak to like where Dave Chappelle's heart is, but you know, it is odd to keep bringing it up. That's at the very least is it's fucking bizarre to. But keep whether or not, but whether or not you have like a uh, like a, I want to create a, a death machine for all the trans people. That doesn't determine if you're transphobic. If you go around saying transphobic things, whether or not deep down you you feel bad about it, you're still a transphobe doing transphobic things. Yeah, I think the um, but anyhow, but yeah, I agree. But but the thing is, like, let's say the most cynical take on this is that Dave Chappelle knows that he will get a not only that community but the larger sort of internet sort of talking about this because this is a topic that is very very much a flashpoint for a lot of people and comes up and becomes very uh heated very quickly and is obviously a very serious topic for a lot of people who are living it and dealing with this shit and i think that that part of this is like okay he's like i know this will i know this will create controversy right there's a big part of that what's fucked up and what i actually find the most fucked up and this to me is like it it is very much in line it's very much in the vein of trump and like trump's the way trump talks and the way that he spoke when he was president and people would be like you know he get what he does and what what Dave Chappelle does that to me is the most damaging thing. It's not that Dave Chappelle personally holds transphobic viewpoints or that Dave Chappelle thinks it's cool to joke about trans people or Dave Chappelle says I'm a turf. The 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 worst part of this is that there are fucking legions of dumbasses 
who follow this guy and are on Twitter. I'm like watching them now. And there's the people who are like, he, thank God somebody finally said it. Or I'm so glad he's pissing off the trans people. It's like, and it's like, he empowers people who actually, the shit he's talking, you know, if he was like, oh, I had a friend who committed suicide or whatever. The shit he's talking about empowers the people who are like doing violence, who are causing people to have fucking, to be in, in distress, who are, uh, who are directly, you know, these are the people who would like, when there's a family member who's trans or when there's somebody they know who's trans, they feel like they are empowered and emboldened to be awful to those people because Dave Chappelle said it was all right. And like, what to me, the thing that's really like cynical and destructive is like, make your fucking jokes. I get it. Okay. And make your money. I get it. But, but that like, there's no connection between this that between his 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 what he considers to be his like craft right that like his job is to say whatever's on his mind because like we can't you know we don't want to edit ourselves or whatever the fuck it is that there's no connection between his choices there and how it empowers and emboldens people out in the real world you know he's t- he can talk all he wants about twitter not being real and again i haven't seen the thing so i haven't seen all of what he says but this is all over, t- over Twitter right now if you look at it. And it's like, but it is real. It gets back to, it's like the fucking Christchurch shooting and the the fucking uh, synagogue in Pittsburgh that got shot up by these fucking people who listened to people like Trump and these other neo-Nazis. And we're like, yeah, why should we take it? Why should we let these people exist? I'm gonna do something about it. And like, that's the fucking, that's where to me, like Dave Chappelle uh, is like, and it just here, again, I'm hearing about this for the first time, but it's like, do you ever think for a second that maybe like there are other targets that don't, that will not end up actually turning into like real world violence and pain for people? Because that's what I think is going on with the, with the trans shit. Like I think on the, on his like jokes about, and when you talk about flippantly or when you make it okay to say, fuck these people, or who cares about what they think, or they're not important enough for me to care about what they think, or they're not important enough for me to hold my tongue on jokes that I know might be funny to my audience right now, or might be funny to me personally, but have real, like, other types of effects in the world. Like, that's fucked up to me. Like, the most fucked up thing is that, say whatever the fuck you want, but you're not saying it in a vacuum, and it has this trickle-down effect. Like, I'm watching, I'm looking at these people on Twitter who are real people, and will go and continue to think and say this shit in their real life. And I think that has, at the end of the day, has really, really fucked up effects for, uh, for, for actual reality, not Twitter reality, but for the reality that people live in, and certainly re- the reality that trans people live in. Like, I- I'm not, you know, I'm not the world's foremost expert on, um, on how this works, but I will say it's pretty, it's a pretty straight line from, you know, people, famous people popularizing and making it okay to feel and say these things and uh, people who are way less smart and way less successful and have way less going for them to say yeah that's how I'm going to position myself around this topic and that leads to bad shit nine times out of ten like Trump's shit you may say well you know that's just the way he talks or whatever but it's like yeah it's the way he talks and when his when his dumbass followers hear it it empowers them and emboldens them to go do bad shit which they have absolutely done you know, and so like, I, I think it's like, 
I don't know, man. You know, it's like it's really kicking people when they're down. It's like it's like not like trans people are having a fucking easy time of it in the world as 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 of right this moment. I, I it's an odd fucking target, you know. It'd be like, I mean, does he do jokes about Palestinians? Because that's like kind of like because that's kind of like where it's at, you know. It's like, do we think that the Palestinians uh, 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 who are dealing with like you know what is happening in 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 Israel and Palestine right now? Is that like should we should we talk shit on them and make fun of them and make jokes about them and make jokes about how the things that they are feeling and experiencing don't matter because because like you think it you know because you don't think it's real like I don't if like to me that's the level we're at it's like yeah people who are going through bad shit don't need you to also like fucking uh pile on them and have your followers pile on them and I, I mean think it's it, just it like just, as a general rule it's just fucked up it just comes down to like. I, I, I listen. I if you have this impulse where you're like, I don't know about trans. I don't know if that's good. I, I don't know what, what what's going to happen to society. And and you're like, we somebody should think critically and discuss this. It, th- that's an okay impulse to have. But when you come to discover that trans people are like constantly harassed, regularly commit suicide, or are murdered, have much higher rates of poverty, um, and that trans people of color have it the hardest. And you understand racism and you understand discrimination. I, I just don't like trans people get it. Like they, they get it. They understand you don't want them to be trans. They've heard every argument. They have everybody in the world against them. I, I we don't need you. We don't, the, you don't have to help. You know what I mean? Like the anti trans movement, it's not like you're standing up for someone with a tiny opinion that never gets heard. You know what I mean? Like, we got it. We understand. I mean, but like, you know, listen, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, dude's made a choice. His choice is like, do you want people to be more violent? I don't understand. I mean, you know, but, but look, but, you know, but, but the argument is, it's like, hey, Dave Chappelle, you know, says what's on his mind. Dave Chappelle makes jokes about things he thinks are funny. You know, he doesn't, he offends everybody. I mean that's the that's the argument, right? But that, like, but that, Dave but Chappelle's you, an equal opportunity offender, right? He but then he you have to he, deal with no people saying, "Fuck Dave Chappelle." That's what's going through my mind. I get to say it. You can't then be like, "Oh, this is cancel culture." Twitter is coming for me. It's such bullshit. That's not even real. Okay, then why does it bother you? Like I don't. If you get to just randomly attack a group of people, I get to say like, "You're super fucked up for doing that," and fuck you. And you're a terrible person. And yeah, I, I get mean, to say those things because you provoked it. And frankly, that's my opinion. And if that's the standard, then I don't want to hear any fucking complaints. I mean, I uh, listen. I mean, it's 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 just disappointing more than anything. Like, again, I mean, I haven't watched it. I, I'm now I'm like, uh, not, hey, this is the goal. Now I'm like, OK, I need to see what's up with with this but it's like you can always torrent it i don't know dave Chappelle's really really a funny fucking dude right like he's like seriously just i mean he funny. was i he mean definitely he, was I mean, he's capable of being like the funniest dude in the world in my opinion but i i don't so, think that's true anymore i think he gloms onto this stuff because he has no way of being relatable to the average person and he yeah, knows I that know. i don't know i mean he's also old like he's old like dave Chappelle. how old is dave Chappelle? he's in his 50s or something yeah. i mean like it's like a louis ck situation you know it's like i think all the time about louis ck like the arc of louis ck and it's like <laughs> he's like okay so so louis ck unbelievably successful comedian has everything going for him then it comes out that he did all this like really fucked up weird sexual harassment and like basically assault and just like fucked up weird bad 
very like sex past sex sex past plus as we like to say yeah. uh and uh and uh and you know his reaction was i mean there's basically like there's two reactions when you when somebody says you you've done something wrong like in my in my experience and we've all we've all been there we've all been like We've all been like the fuck you for telling me I did something wrong, right? Like that's a that is an emotion that to me I think maybe comes to me first when somebody tells me I've done something wrong or I said something wrong or I got something wrong, like I had a bad take or whatever. My first thought is this defense mechanism which is like fuck you. You're wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And and then usually and I've learned this through Many years of being in rooms with people smarter than me and who know things that I don't know. I've probably talked about this before, but I'm going to revisit it. Uh, sitting around with like people like editors and writers, uh, often, you know, from very different backgrounds and very di- with very different perspectives than me, saying that's dumb or like here's why that is not right or here's why that's a bad idea. I'm not saying like stuff like turf being a turf is cool, but like even small things, even like whatever, daily story ideas, I think you know. Our whole team is pretty good about coming back a day later and being like, okay, I was wrong or you were wrong or you know what I mean? Like we're pretty good about like digesting stuff. I, I mean, I think it's a skill to me like one of the one of the uh like if somebody was like, okay, what are the things that you think? Somebody's like, I want to do what you do. You know, I want to run like publications or whatever and be an editor of publications or, you know, and somebody was like, what's one of the most, what's one of the most important, what's the most important thing that, that you can do if you want to have your job? And like, to me, the most important thing is that you surround yourself with really smart people who are really good at what they do. And then you listen to them, you know? And so, and so I'm, I've gotten really used to, no, I'm not always, I don't always say, okay, you're right. Sometimes I argue with people. Sometimes I'm like, actually you're fucking wrong. And here's why. Uh, but it is like has gotten it, I, I, and I would say I've built this up over you know the last decade or so. I was not always good at it. It took a long time to learn that my first instinct, often, which is like "fuck you, you're wrong," is not is often not the right instinct and isn't productive. And actually, I don't learn anything, and they don't learn anything, and we end up you know in the same place. But 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 it's funny when I think about Louis C.K. It's like his reaction to it wasn't criticism, by the way. People weren't like Louis C.K. Your comedy is is rude and offensive. They, that's not even it. They were like, you are like harassing people, and it's fucked up and bad, and you shouldn't do that. And there was a lot of public, you know, it's very public, right, for him, right. I mean, he's very public. He's a celebrity, but but the but the reaction was extremely public, and his reaction to it wasn't to go, God, you know what? What the fuck was I doing? Like, what was I thinking? Like, this is bad. It's true. Like, I've looked at it now. I've backed away from it. And my behavior was really not right. And and I understand why people react. Man, some people overreacted. Some people were like calling for my death. That's fucked up. But, you know, if it were me, I don't know if, I don't know how you come back from it. But, they, but, they, but, but, uh, but Louis C.K.'s reaction to people going like, you're a fucked up sex pest and you need to deal with that was not to say, I'm dealing with this and then like come back and like use his craft, which he's a genius at. Again, Louis C.K. is a genius comedian and a genius like thinker about how to turn situations that are bad or weird into very funny or interesting or thoughtful situations. Um, this this dude came back 
and and was like i'm like those people are wrong for like those people are wrong for even suggesting that uh i've done something wrong and his now his his comedy is like he's like you know his comedy is like about cancel culture you know like yeah. his vi- his vibe is he, you know Louis CK's touring the country selling out to like a bunch of like MRA uh MRA men's rights activists you know white guys with a chip on their shoulder who are one bad date away from a school shooting or whatever um who want to cheer on people who are like cancel culture is bad and we need to do something about it you know like it's like Dave Dave Chappelle and Louis CK are kind of doing the same thing where they're like people were like that what you're doing there kind of sucks and their reaction isn't all right let me th- actually like do you have a point or like could i do this better or have i made a mistake not even made a mistake but like is there something i can learn not even say okay dave your previous trans stuff was a mistake fuck it say it's a learning experience you did some stuff you saw a reaction you're kind of listening to that and figuring out like is that the best way to go or whatever there's a million things i can imagine him doing with the concept of of him you know the, the a, a revelation or whatever same thing with louis ck but the decision is to go fuck you you're wrong to be so sure to be so sure that those that everybody else has a worse idea than you do and i think like to some extent you can't become a louis ck or a dave Chappelle without that like you can't and i think like in my own life i think it's true that that sometimes you run roughshod over other ideas because you actually do have the better idea and you need to kind of like push it, right? But if you don't learn the other part of it, to me, that's like you're missing something as an actual like human being. Like you're missing something not just in like your career or whatever, but as like how we are supposed to learn from other people and get better at whatever it is we do or whoever it is we are. And I think like what's most like kind of disappointing to me is like, I'm uh, you know, it's like – I. I want to root for Dave Chappelle and I don't, it's like, I don't understand the desire or the need for this particular avenue to be continually mined. And like with Louis CK, it's like, I would, I think there are a lot of people, I would venture to guess the majority of people who liked Louis CK prior to all of this stuff coming out about who he is and what he'd done. I think a lot of people would have said, you know what? If he had come back and said, I really fucked up and let me take you through like I'm going to talk about this like transparently and talk about like figuring out how to like be better. I think a lot of people, most of his fans would have come right on back to Louis C.K. and he'd have a show on fucking FX again and he'd be doing stand up for Netflix and HBO, not, you know, it's some fucking West Virginia dive that Joe Manchin owns or wherever the fuck he's doing it now. Um and like you know, it's just weird to me. It's just weird that they can't access that part of their of their mind where it's like, wait a second, maybe, just maybe they have a point. Could it be possible that anybody else is is ever right? And I think it's like it just, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I can't connect on that level. Like I can't. My mind doesn't connect up there because I have. I'm I'm used to like saying, okay, you have a good point, <laughs> like. I think it's a healthy thing to do. I don't do it all the time. I think a lot of people would say I'm extremely frustrated and, you know, uh, have a lot of very, uh, you know, strong opinions that I don't back down from. But 
I don't know. Once in a while, you gotta give, you gotta give the floor to somebody else. You know. Um, speaking That's my of, spiel again. I gotta, I gotta watch this to really. Let, let's talk about Facebook. Okay, let's talk about it. You want to lay it out for us? Sure. Um, Facebook is the most evil company on earth. No, um, Facebook uh, was recently had was was. Uh, drawn in for some government discussions of uh of what's going on over there and it ends up what's going on over there is that facebook is regularly suppressing its own research and internal concerns about the shit that it does i mean from literally ignoring human trafficking in third world countries fully because it gets them engagement to promoting clickbait hate hate speech because it gets them engagement to knowing that they're absolutely destroying the psyches of children that use their products, uh, deciding that they're going to make more products targeted at children because they en- they have so much time to have engagement. And, uh, and uh, you know, y- you would think that if the whole world was like, hey, you've, you're very obviously doing some really bad stuff, I mean, we'd already known that you encouraged, like, you know, genocides and stuff. And this is... Well, in- encourage or, I mean, it's more like... Uh, it's it encourages probably, it's more like... If their service a, a, is pushing have a, that... Have a passive... Uh, have a passive But if your algorithm is choosing to, to push that, it's not passive. And if you're the entire media somewhere, like, in some of these countries in Africa and Asia that's the entire media is just Facebook and you have some level of responsibility that if your algorithm is pushing that story on people I mean I I, I can't think of it as anything other than active and yeah well I mean I'm not disagreeing that they play a very active part in a lot of this stuff I mean we should I mean t- to be clear th- this topic has come up about Facebook over and over again uh, that they are I mean, this this idea is not exactly new. In fact, I, I pointed out the other day that we were writing about this a year ago that, you know, on the topic of the way political uh, content and messages were being shared, that they had research in their hands that said, hey, this is destructive, it's bad, it's hurtful. Uh, and, you know, they were like, that's, we don't care, you know. We're bringing and- people together. Right, they're bringing people together, but the reality is their business is based on engagement, and 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 actually, what has been most offensive. So, so you know, there's this whistleblower who says, "Look, they have all this research. It says negative, uh, hurtful engagement actually increases use of these services, increases attention and time spent on the service, and and that's a des- and that's desirable." Right now, I don't, I don't. I'm sure there are there are pieces of Facebook, places in Facebook where they're like, hey, we've got to prevent, you know, certain types of harmful content. They definitely have all sorts of filtering and you Yeah, know, they're taking down I think five percent of all hate speech. That that's what they've captured. You know, and and, 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 and they'll that's tell by you their and, admission. Right. And they'll tell you, and I'm sure it's true. That hate speech is, you know, it's hard to identify and all that. It's, you know, in, in some cases, I'm sure that's true. But also. why is the assumption that, like, we have to have Facebook and everyone has well, to no, be able that's to the, post constantly? Well, that, well that's, that's so, so getting, getting to it, getting to the heart of it, right? So they're like, 
first off, their business is ad supported. They are ad supported and, and, and we're in an ad supported business. So I can speak pretty uh, clearly on this topic, right? What they want is to for people to stay on any Facebook product where they are going to see ads and, and they don't, and that is how they or make Or at money. least give them data that's usable. Well, I mean, yes, either way, but I mean, they, they need, the data that they get is simply so their partners can target better target totally, advertising totally. But to that's, people. Right? I, mean, I'm, I mean, when people are in Messenger and they're not seeing a ton of ads, like that's yeah. not a harmless product to yes, use. Yes, but, yes, but we're in talking about where Facebook is trying to um, magnetize engagement, right? Of course, the, the the message apps are a big part of it. But what is what is true about those is that uh, there's a much more directed, personally directed choice about who you're talking to and when and what you're talking about. I'm saying that like in these more open forums where where like virality can happen because sharing of things in a public manner happens. Uh, their goal is to keep you there, obviously to keep you on all the products and obviously to eat up as many products as they can so they can get more data to your point. But in those in those public-facing products, it's all about keeping you there uh, and keeping you engaged and magnetized to that page or that screen by any means necessary because the reality is that Facebook is a business that has no growth end in mind in the sense that they don't think the size of Facebook now is enough. They don't think what Facebook does is enough. Facebook would be happy if they could to purchase every other social network that exists and make it part of Facebook. They would be happy if they could to to purchase, you know, Apple and make your iPhone a Facebook phone if they could. So so there is no there is no scale for Facebook that is acceptable except more. And so everything is about, and for their, for their shareholders, for their CEO, for every person who works there, the goal is growth, the goal is engagement, the goal is more dollars in the door and more people on the platform. So everything they do is aligned to that goal. And anything they tell you about how they care, they truly care about the safety, if, the, if you told them that you'd have to eliminate you know, half of the posts on the site because they were destructive or hate speech or whatever, Facebook would not do that because that would be, uh, it would be against their overall business goals. And Facebook's a business. They're not, they're not here to connect people. They're not here to make the world a better place. They're not here to, to um, help families. They're not an touch. essential service. It's like they're... Well, they, they, they will tell you that they are for many people and they have made themselves essential in many places to your point about where they are the, all, the whole of the internet for many countries. But that's not like... To, your, to the point that you actually were getting to, which I agree with, like this idea that it is imperative that a service like Facebook exists, that there's a, a wall where you can post stories you see is like some weird illusion invented by by Silicon Valley and by people like Mark Zuckerberg who haven't as far as I can tell ever had a never had a real like experience as a as a as an adult human prior to Facebook which is like I don't know what to make of that but it doesn't make for a critical thinker in my opinion but but this idea that we should be living in this perpetual viewing and sharing of content or opinions or information or whatever is 
you may think it's that way because that's the way the internet thus far has kind of led us to to feel. But like that's actually not I mean, in some way, weirdly, this does tie back in a little bit with Dave Chappelle's like critique of Twitter and people on Twitter, which is to say there is a difference between like there is a difference between what 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 our life could be or it should be and what is what we see on these screens and what we see through these services and and I'm and I say this and we've talked about this before as a person who spent my entire life going deeper and deeper and deeper into how I could use technology to communicate with people and reach people and talk to people and many of my early friendships when I was like a teenager uh, and a young adult, many of them were built on the internet and built virtually and built in spaces that were not a representation of like, you know, us as people, but a version of ourselves that we presented. The, the, the further you go into it, the more you start to see what is broken about this structure. And like, I think when people hear about regulation or breaking things up, they think, Oh, this is some business. And it, often it does come from a place where it's like, you know, a mono, we talk about monopolies, right? You know, well, you, they shouldn't have a monopoly. They shouldn't have X, Y, and Z. But like, I, I, I actually think we need to think about this more from a public health standpoint and more from a, what do we want the world to be standpoint? Like, let's actually construct reality for ourselves here because that's, we are doing that now. Like we are engaging in a construction of how we want to live and we've decided that right now it's this one way. Well, we it can't actually... do that, Josh, because the free market. Right, but I mean, this is what I'm saying: is that like, if we don't we... have chaos, <laughs> when we talk when we talk about this stuff, like what we actually need to talk about is more. Uh, it's loftier in many ways than just like whether Facebook, you know, ignored its uh, research. Right? It's like, let's say one way or the other. Let's say that either this is true or it isn't. Okay. What is it that makes us think that this version of reality where we're doing whatever we're doing every day is like the best version of reality that we could have, you know? And like, why is it Facebook or Instagram? And what is it you're getting out of it? Or what is it that they offer that is better than whatever, you know, whatever that other thing might be, you know? And I think that like, it, it's they've made it so easy to become convinced that it's like the it's like Instagram kids, okay? They recently shelved a project, which was gonna be a Instagram for kids, like under thirteen or something, okay? And and it and it is part of this idea, you know. And you hear them talk about it, and I think Mark Zuckerberg even cites it in this fucking bullshit letter that he wrote. This idea that it's like. Kids are going to use technology, and so we should give them a safe space to blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, kids are going to use technology. Like, they're absolutely going to find ways to use it, and they want to use it. But because, like, a child sees their parent looking at Instagram, or because their, you know, their teenage cousin is, like, on TikTok, the idea that, like, that's the natural progression that we should all be engaging in, that that's, like, the healthy thing to do, or that even makes any sense for children full stop is like an illusion created by companies that want to make money off of you. It is just it is just that. It may feel enjoyable. It may feel enjoy, enjoyable for like but it's like it is very much like many things that we enjoy. There is a there is a, an acceptable amount of it and then there's an amount which is too much. And I think like this is a case where 
we, again, I've talked about this for years, but this actually isn't something we can, Facebook can be forced to help with this problem in the sense that they're not going to regulate themselves. They're not going to regulate how they operate as a business. And that has effects in the, in the market. They need to be regulated in certain ways. Like they shouldn't own WhatsApp. They probably shouldn't own Instagram. Those should be, we should be able to have businesses that are independent of the 2 billion user, 3 billion. How many users of Facebook are there now? 3 billion of facebook.com. You know, that should be enough for a company. Yeah, they don't need to do, honestly, I truly believe they don't need to be allowed to do streaming video. They don't need to be allowed to do, like, they shouldn't be curating news services. Like, we need to break this shit up and decide, like, whether or not one company should have so much power over information that they can just decide to to take over another section of the, like, information economy or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and I think, and I think that the, but the other part of this, the other work that needs to be done, which, as far as I can tell, is not being done, is very much like, um, trying to think of the way to, to, to describe it. I mean, it's like, to me, it's, it's like parenting. The work is like, what, like, what are we doing? Like, what are we all doing here, right? Like, we need to be thinking more about what it is we're doing every day with technology. I think the big missing piece for technology is that everybody seems to believe because it feels so good so much of the time and because it's so easy and because frankly, technology is amazing and it's the coolest fucking thing ever and it makes so many amazing things possible that like it's very easy to become convinced that all of it is that. All of it is like the amazing part, you know? And when that, in like, fact, you should be more suspicious of something that gives every that gives both the company and the user the appearance of more power but is completely impulse-based and you know. especially when it's being offered to you quote unquote for free. Those things that are so easy to get into should be make you more suspicious. I mean, right? it is this is the I mean, this is uh there is tension around this. There has always been tension around this. I mean, for free is not a thing unless it is a, uh, you know, a billionaire just decides that they want to give you something. And even then there's, there, even are, other then. Str- there are other strings, right? But, but you know, uh, we know, uh, we I said this before, we work, we run news businesses in an ad supported space and we have conversations all the time with, we hear you know, an advertiser will say, well, you know, I really just want to be around like upbeat content, you know? And it's like, there are places where when they hear that, they go, oh, well, I guess we'll just make upbeat content then. We won't, you know, we, I, I've heard many times in my career, like, oh yeah, we lost that deal because they really just wanted to advertise on like happy stories. And we and don't frankly, always do that, you know, or whatever. And like, frankly, it's not an unjustified business decision. Like, we live in a world where it, you either get to make content or you don't. Very few people get to do it and get paid yeah. like a living wage. And at, if you're marginal and you're on the line and this is your dream, and someone's like, "Well, you can only really make this kind of content," <laughs> yeah. you're like, "I mean, I'll take it." And, you know, and, and and listen, some people do, and like I, you know, I have had many, many uncomfortable and hard conversations with with people who come to, you know, over the years. Uh, I mean, I can think of situations when we were at Vox where, you know, Samsung would want to advertise and they're like, but, you know, we're, hey, we'd love to sponsor this video series, but we can't, you can't show any Apple products in the, it'd be like, we're doing a documentary thing. And they're like, but if we can't see any Apple products on screen and we're like, well, I guess you won't be sponsoring this thing because 
It's a documentary. Like, <laughs> it's like that's not really possible and also would be very disingenuous and like we're not doing, you know, sponsor content for you. But but the the but the but the reality is like uh in in a business like Facebook, uh there is you know, a different there are different incentives for them and different standards for them. And uh the the but this idea that like you know, you're getting this experience and this service and all you have to do is see some ads. Uh, uh, can, it cannot be, you cannot discount what that means, which is like the exchange is for your time, right? There's and access to your id, like your brain, your, yeah, like your, your subconscious. Data, your time and your data. It used to be just your time. Like if we were selling a magazine, okay? If you were selling a magazine, you were selling ads in a magazine, you go, okay, we're going to put like this, you know, Cadillac out on the, on the inside cover or whatever. And you know, like X amount of people subscribe to this magazine, X amount of people buy it at stores. And then like, you're hoping that they open the magazine and spend at least a few moments with this image, right? This ad, right? Facebook doesn't have to wonder. They can tell you down to the millisecond what people are doing and why they're doing it and how they react when they see it. And what's the next thing they do? And what do they do the day after that? And what does that mean in the in the in the next year of their life? And where will they head from a commerce and capitalist standpoint? And so, like capitalism standpoint. And so, like you got to go like, okay, this is an exchange I'm making behind the scenes. There's a business deal I have no part of, which is uh, someone is paying Facebook to get information about me and to show me something because they can make they can make money off of me in some way. And like that's Facebook's business is how do we make money off of the people using our service? Not again, if their business is not to bring the world together. If their business was to bring the world together, they would uh, offer a tier with no advertising. Uh, and they'd be doing it like they would. The, you you you'd notice a, a lot more unity. Or they'd say, you know what they'd say? <laughs> you know what they if if their if their if their goal really was to like create positive, meaningful. Uh, uh, you know, uh, society building interactions, they could do it. They would just have to say, we're not going to allow a lot of this other stuff that we think has the opposite effect. But they're not doing that because it, it would be d- detrimental to growth and detrimental to revenue and detrimental to their stock price and detrimental to investors. And so like, that's who they serve. They serve the stock price. They serve the investors. They serve themselves. They serve their advertisers. They, there's nothing wrong with any of that. The problem is that we think that Facebook needs to sit at the center of our lives and that we've decided as a society that it, that social networks and uh, our discourse among them, on them and, am- and among them is is the way we're supposed to live. And like, I think two things have to happen. One, I think, is that like some of these businesses need to be regulated by people who know how the fuck the businesses work. And then the other big part, which I see nobody really doing in any meaningful way, is like we have to rethink the way we construct our like society, the way we construct life, the way we think of the things that are important to us. Because I do, I don't think, you know, look, I, I as you know, I'm an avid user of social media. Uh, I'm, you know, on Twitter all the time saying all sorts of things, dumb and otherwise. <laughs> but, you know, is it is it the best thing for me or for anybody to be exposed to that? Or how much of it should we be exposed to? Or what parts of it? And I think there's just big, big questions about like how we're arranged as uh, as a society 
that we have to we've got it like we're 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 past the decade point on iPhones, okay? And we're getting now we are getting into the hard part which always was going to happen, which was going to which is the, answering the question of how do we live with all the stuff that we made? How do we live with all of the technology that we've created? How do we live with the stuff that we haven't even thought of yet that's coming? How do we navigate what it is and what it does to us? And like Having some plan for that or some awareness of the need for it, at least, is the biggest challenge that we're going to face in the next, like, 25 years. It's not about the technology. It's not about the regulation. It's about, like, people making choices and being able to make those choices. And, I mean, partially that is regulation-related. But there's just, a, I think, a huge uh, reckoning that needs to happen about not the technology and what it does, but how we choose to live with it and how much we choose to let it be part of what our lives are. And I, I will say this problem has been, this issue has been exacerbated and sort of diverted by a pandemic, which has created an unbelievable, undeniable need for technology more than ever before. And I will say, and I wrote about this at the start of the pandemic, that, that the technology we have has been... Uh, unquestionably helpful in a time when there, if this had happened 30 years ago or 20 years ago, even there would be a lot of people feeling a lot more alone. There would be a lot of people who couldn't talk to their family. There would be a lot of people who were disconnected from what is going on in the world or didn't understand what was happening because the things we have now weren't available. So, so it's been unbelievable. You know, there are kids who would never just not have gotten any school whatsoever. Right. Um, and, so there's, there's, you know, we actually have had been a, a, through a moment. We are in the middle of a moment where technology is is unquestionably there. There are incredible uses and important uses for it, and it has made a positive impact in a lot of people's lives. But like that doesn't mean that you throw that you have to, you know, that you can ignore the rest of it. And the rest of it is like, you know, how do we navigate this stuff for ourselves and for our kids and for our communities? And I just don't think the work has been put in. I certainly don't think the regulatory regulatory work has been put in, and certainly we have not done the personal work. And where that starts, I don't know. I think it's about education. I think it's about literacy. I think it's about like how we think of what these services are. But that's a big, big unpacking to do, and we're certainly not going to get to it on this episode of tomorrow. Yeah, and I think you still there. Frankly, <laughs> I think frankly that these companies are too good at hacking people's brains, and we should just you know make them illegal. Um, I, I mean, we should we should make it harder for them to hack our brains and harder for them to do the things that they do that are manipulative. We just we don't need like I mean at the bare minimum. I saw somebody that was tweeting. I mean, I, I'm not going to name names, but somebody was tweeting. Should we? Like, is it worth at this point? Are things so bad that we need to get rid of the algorithmic timeline? It's and it's like yeah. They've been that bad. And the algorithmic timeline is not, first off, not something you need. And second, like, it, it's not the only way that we'll ever be presented with content. I don't think that, like, computers trying to guess what will provoke us the most and constantly presenting it to us is ending well. Like, it's not going well. And it's again, been really yeah. bad. <laughs> again, again, it's this is an idea that is completely created out of the minds of a very small group of people that out of a college student. No, I mean, forget about, forget about Facebook for a second. This idea of, I mean, th it, listen, I, I, and I want you to know it's as easy as this in case anybody's wondering, it's as easy as this. Okay. One day 
somebody was like, some engineers at Facebook or Twitter or wherever, you know, where whoever did it first, it wasn't them, by the way, it was another service. Somebody was like, you know what's cool? It's like, I just figured out that we can take this data set over here of like what people have been interacting with. And if we kind of apply that to the stuff that's being posted or whatever pops up next, it'll show them stuff that's more relevant to their interests. And somebody, by the way, brilliant idea. It's a brilliant fucking idea. And and somebody at that company, whoever did it first, was like, that's a really good idea. Like, we can give them more personalized content that they'll really like. And like, that sounds like a nice thing. It started as a very nice thing, okay? I'm telling you. Nobody was like, we're going to abuse this. They were like, hey, you've been, you know, interacting with these stories about you really love when people post a picture of their lunch. You're a big lunch fan. And like, now we know that we can give you more lunch pictures quicker on our service and you'll like that. And I think that's a very fine thing to think. But like that idea to where we are now, because you understand it just compounds over time, right? And then they go, hey, you know, what we just realized is that if we show them this thing for a little bit longer, they'll, they're more likely to do X or, or, or Y, you know? There's this thing called A-B testing. Does it, I mean, I don't know if most people know what A-B testing is. A-B testing is like they'll show you one thing and then a different version of that thing. And they get data. Facebook has insane testing. Like if you go and use Facebook's tools for doing an ad, right, you can make like 17 different versions of your ad, okay? And each of those versions can have a little bit. It's like Netflix with the covers, right? You know how Netflix has all these algorithmically selected covers? Some will engage you more than others. This is all the same part of the same thing. Netflix will let you make 17 different ads, okay? And then you can run a test on a group, whatever group, whatever size you want, as long as you're willing to pay for it. And it will tell you which one of those ads they engage with more, right? And then you, you can use that to make more ads based on whatever it is that's engaging them, right? And you know what happens. You run an ad one day and you go, you know, Trump said what? Or whatever the ad is. And then your other ad said like, Donald Trump announces a, a new you know, tax uh, credit or whatever. You know, one of those is gonna do better. And the one that does better often is the one that plays to our most base instincts as human beings, which is a, it's like a reaction, a surprise, a shock. A, what is this? I have to, you know what clickbait is? They talk, by the way, and I do want to talk about this really quickly. They talk about clickbait. You know, clickbait, what is clickbait? I mean, it's kind of a bullshit term because the best headlines in the world are clickbait. It makes you pay attention. It makes you want to look, right? And that mm -hmm. is like literally all of, all of commerce. Every piece of it has an element of that in it. It makes you want to look. Why do you look at the car? Why did, you, why did you choose that car instead of that one? Why do you buy that magazine instead of that other one? What is attractive about that piece of clothing versus this one? Like it is like how do you get somebody to pay attention and consider something, right? But, so, so, but often and especially unchecked, which is what Facebook has been in many of these services, not just Facebook, what, what happens in unchecked, uh, unchecked engagement is the worst um, instincts emerge and they work because down deep down, we're all just animals and we have animal instincts and we have animal reactions to things. And there is like really interesting chemistry happening here and interesting uh, cognition happening. But the I, truth people, is- People like to think that they're immune to advertising but or immune to any impulse or like they're immune to being manipulated. And like, if that was true- if that was the case, 
then advertising wouldn't be a billion dollar business. And you may you may be immune to like a display ad, which is an ad that looks like an ad that you see on a page somewhere or in a magazine or whatever. But you're not immune to all this other stuff, which you don't even realize is happening. And, and what that is, is like what Facebook figured out eventually was not that they needed to make you react to the ads, okay? Is that they needed to make you react to something where the ads were close to, okay? Where the ads were near, where your data could be gathered. So, so you're not reacting to the ad that says, Trump did what or whatever the fucking thing is or, you know, like the cheapest sweatshirt you can buy. I mean, they still have those ads, but now you're not reacting to the cheapest sweatshirt you can buy or whatever the fuck it is. You're reacting to something somebody said and they're like, hey, while they're looking at this very engaging comment, show them a bunch of these ads, right? And get a bunch of data from them about how they interact so we can refine this further. And that's the, and that's the product. That's what they do. But, but. But, you know, like, there's, there's nothing wrong with the initial instinct, you know, show people more of what they like. But what people like or what people react to and what they like are very different things. What people engage with and what they like are very different things. I would venture to say or to guess that for many people, what they engage with and what they react to are at the polar opposite ends of what they like. And so when you start to think about that equation, when you really put that in mind, you realize that the whole fucking framework of these services and of a lot of the internet feeds into and amplifies instincts that you would not personally identify as positive or good. And so that's the problem. That is a big part of the underlying problem. And like, we have to address that at some point. We have to really address it. And we have to change the way we think about this stuff. All right, anyhow, uh, can I talk about, we should talk about something else. I know we've gone on for a while here. I feel like there's a couple of other things. Sure, what do you want to talk about? I, have to, I want to talk about how I was up until three in the morning last night doing Why? one of the most, I'm going to tell you, doing one of the most frustrating, obnoxious, and raging things I have done in my adult life. Are you ready? Okay. Last night I decided fairly early in the evening, I'll say maybe 10 o'clock, that I was going to download every Castlevania game, every ROM, every ISO, whatever I could find. And, and that I would, I, I think I was like, I'm going to play through the entire series from beginning, from the beginning. I've been playing a bunch of Castlevania too. Castlevania is great. Anyhow. So I'm like, you know, I don't think I ever finished the original Castlevania. And obviously you start there. By the way, I may I may actually end up doing this as a Twitch thing. I've just I was thinking about it, although Twitch just got majorly hacked. I actually was thinking like this would be because what I experienced last night, I'm gonna get to it in a second, but what I experienced last night would probably make for pretty good entertaining Twitch viewing. It did not make for entertaining like an entertaining life experience. So so I was like, I don't think I've ever played Castlevania all the way through. I'm gonna do it. And 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 then Laura was like, you know. I definitely watched when my brothers or maybe I even did it like when it was first out, like play through this whole game. And I'm like, you know, now that I think of it, it's like a really old school NES game. It can't be that long. Like the, the new, the newer Castlevanias are like insane. Like Symphony of the Night, I've been playing for months and I'm still not done with it, you know? Uh, but like, uh, you know, Castlevania, you know, uh, 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 Rondo of Blood, Dracula X, super long game, tons of secrets to uncover. But anyhow, the original Castlevania, I'm like, yeah, it's an NES cartridge. Like, this can't be that long. I'm like, let me start playing and see how far I can get. 
And you know, I've I've become obviously a great Castlevania player over the last, I mean, you know, when was the original Castlevania released? I don't know, it was 30 years ago or something? Maybe more? At any rate, I'm like, I'm going to play through Castlevania. Um, and I have to say, I was doing a, I was doing pretty great. Also, I will, I'm playing on RetroArch, and there's like save states, which, you know, the God best. did not intend. God, unintended, there are unintended consequences from having save states in a game that was definitely never intended to have save states. But uh, first off, my first reaction was, I can't fucking believe how hard the game is just so punishingly hard. i mean i remember it being hard but i rem- but i only really remember the first few levels i can I barely like, get through or like like the original castlevania i can barely get through it with rewind not even save yeah. states like being it's, able to just be like oh i just died i undo it no, i can barely get honestly, through it doing that it's honestly like nightmare level and, and laura pointed out and i think this is true i do think there's a generation of of people who grew up playing these like punishingly hard games and i do think it made us like a kind of like very hard worker to a point where we like completely fry ourselves to death in like a work environment because we're kind of like yep this is you just got to keep fucking doing it like <laughs> you're just going to keep going that's how it is like you will learn it controller <laughs> you'll get it eventually you just have to keep and i do think there's like a part of i do feel like uh, there's a part of my personality where it's like yeah, like I will take on like punishing weird hard stuff and just be like I'm going to just push through this. Anyhow, so so I I'm, I'm playing the original Castlevania last night and it's going pretty well. And then and I realized in playing it that like the the truly greatest the greatest, you know, you have a secondary weapon in Castlevania, right? Like you can throw knives, you can throw axes, there's like holy water that causes like a little fire when you throw it. There's a thing that's like a boomerang type of weapon. And then there's this weapon, which is the stopwatch. The stopwatch stops time. It freezes your enemies, right? And what I realized in playing the original Castlevania is the stopwatch is actually the most powerful uh, secondary weapon there is. Because because all of the stuff that makes it most maddening is like you're trying to go somewhere and people keep knocking you off of something or killing you in a place where like you can't get around them, like your enemies, you know, and you could just stop that, right? It literally in place. So I'm like holding on to the stopwatch through the game as I go through. I'm like not switching my weapon out, you know. I get to a boss, uh, the uh, two mummies, and the stopwatch doesn't affect them. And I'm like, this is fucked up. It affected other bosses. It doesn't affect them. But I beat them anyway. Then I get to like Frankenstein. Stopwatch doesn't affect Frankenstein and his little monkey guy that jumps around, okay? And then I get to uh, the Grim Reaper, okay? I get to the Grim Reaper and I've got my stopwatch and it's clear that they want you to have a different weapon when you're fighting the Grim Reaper. They obviously want you to have the boomerang, okay? But I'm now at a point where going back to get the boomerang was like basically impossible because I've saved right before I go into this boss battle with the Grim Reaper, I probably replayed the fight with the Grim Reaper last night more than a hundred times in a row. And I lost every time. It is the single, one of the single, last night I would have said it's the single most frustrating thing I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, Today I will only say that it is one of the most frustrating things that I've ever done in my entire life. I could not beat the Grim Reaper no matter how good I got at following his fucking, he has like four sickles that fly around the screen and on top of you needing to like hit the, like beat the Grim Reaper himself. I could kill the Grim Reaper. 
but then one of his sickles would hit me before I could get the little ball that signals that you've ended the level. That happened several times, okay? You've no idea after doing like 75 playthroughs of trying to beat him. Because you die pretty fast, by the way. I could take like four hits essentially before I died. Um, Because he takes off like four life points while you take off one when you hit him. So very cool. At any rate, finally I had to just use a cheat code. <laughs> That's the only way I could beat him. Oh I was God. like, I, I was like, oh, you can add cheats to a retro arch. You could just fucking like turn on cheats. Yeah, I'm gonna do that. And 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 it was the greatest feeling in the world. It was the greatest. And I have to say, like, fuck playing a game on hard or like being. Ch- I mean, there is a point where it was fun, but like it got to a point really fast where it was just not fun at all. And uh, honestly, soured me on the entire Castlevania series. I may never play a Castlevania game again. No, uh, but Aria I was up to like three Sorrow. in the morning. Aria doing it. of Sorrow. I already, yeah, one. I started. I started playing Aria of Sorrow on my um on my uh, Retroid Pocket. So I have. A, Isn't a it save, so save good? Yeah, it's good. I'm kind of stuck in a place. I don't know. It's fine. It's I don't know. To me, anything that isn't like uh, Rondo of Blood or Symphony of the Night is you know it's a poor second secondary. <laughs> take on castlevania anyhow so i was up till three in the morning i got like four hours of sleep and uh that may explain why why i have been rambling or that it just might be my personality um so is that your nice thing i don't know i don't think so that was my the opposite of a nice thing that was like the worst <laughs> thing that ever happened to me in my life it was fucking this fucking grim reaper i mean it sucked i can't believe they expected children to beat this game i mean it's fucked up but the and then Dracula, is, I, I just straight cheated. Did. I straight cheated on the Dracula battle because it was like no way I could beat Dracula. Like no fucking way could I. He Dracula is like a motherfucker, and then he turns into a huge monster. Like you beat him, and you're like, oh, I beat Dracula, and then he turns into a giant fucking monster. It's like I have no idea how, and they don't even have passwords on the first Castlevania. You can't even get back to that. You're just done. Can well, I don't think they didn't want people to beat them because. This whole genre was originally created for arcade games, and they wanted as many quarters as possible. Then, when they started selling them to at home, they didn't want pe- people. They wanted people. You mean to the concept like of getting... a side-scrolling action game is what you're saying is yes. created for arcades? Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I'm just telling you that that I'm sure there are people who can like do a speed run of Castlevania and are just like unbelievable well, experts. Those but... people are unwell. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying it's. I mean, God damn, it was horrible. Just horrible. Although I feel pretty good about having beaten it, even though I had to use a cheat. I don't care. It felt good. I mean, I laughed. I laughed hysterically when I beat this guy. Like, you said, what so is good. a man? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I know. I was like, well, a man is a whatever, it's a, you know, miserable pile miserable of secrets. secrets. My secret is I use the one hit turns you invincible cheat and fucking just plowed through shit. All right, anyhow. That's my nice thing there. You happy? <laughs> yeah, that you cheated. Great. I, cheat. I um, love to cheat. My love nice cheating thing... in video games. Don't play it on hard. <laughs> Go ahead. My nice thing is um, I bought a PSP Go like five years ago when what I was... Is P- what is a PSP Go? So it was a PSP that has a slide up screen and it's entirely digital. If you looked it up, you'd probably remember it. Okay, I'll check it out. It... I wanted one really bad because I wanted one when I was younger, but I couldn't afford a second PSP when I was a child. Mm. Yeah, and that makes so sense. I wanted one forever. And then when I finally had some disposable income, it was one of the things on my list that I was like, I want to buy this and own it. So I purchased one, 
But the problem with the PSP Go is that you it only uses M2 memory stick cards, which is like a format that d- didn't exist and doesn't exist. It only existed for Sony to try to like push it right, on the market. Sony's like Sony's like want it's like tried to make a memory card competitor, like an SD card competitor. Yeah, this was like their micro SD competitor and they only ever made it in 8 gigabyte and I think some 16 gigabyte, but they're impossible to find versions. And so it's like, well, even though you can hack a PSP and put as many ROMs that you legally ripped um, on it, I couldn't, I, there was not enough space. And I was like, all right, well, let me find an adapter. There are no adapters. There was one, at one point there was a kit you could purchase that was like, uh, it had like ribbon cables and you were supposed to slice up an original SD card with an adapter. And then it had an attachment that would trick the, it was not working. And mm. I tried to make it myself was not working. Um, I could not find this part anywhere, and I I ended up just, like, putting the PSP Go away and having to move on. And eventually, I had, like, alerts set up that if this part was ever available anywhere, that I would, like, regularly get an update. I found that it was being sold out of Ukraine, Mm. and it was not so so cheap. And I was like, I don't think this is ever going to arrive, but let's throw money at this and see what happens. Because I've waited so long. Sure. And I've tried to like build this thing at one point. So I threw some money at it, heard nothing back. And I was like, well, I got scammed. <laughs> Eventually it does show up. And I'm like, all right, awesome. So I, I dig out the PSP Go. I shove the, th- the part in. I'm like really excited. The PSP won't turn on. And I'm like, all right, well, the battery must have died because it's been five years of this, like, you know, I think I got a replacement battery when I got the thing. And it's definitely not a first party battery. So I was like, all right, that's fair enough. So I throw the battery out. I order a new battery. Still won't turn on. And I'm like, what the fuck? So I Google it and it's like, you know, the some of the contact points, solder points might have gotten weakened over time. And like, you'll have to mm. resolder the whole thing. And I'm like, mm. I'm not fucking doing this. This is I, a real nightmare scenario. I'm like hours and I'm hours. I'm years and I'm hundreds of dollars and hours of that day into this problem. And I was like, I'm not fucking doing this. So I put it away. And I think it was like, I was like two days later talking with John about how this had happened to me. And I was like, I was like, I know it's not a real problem, but I'm very frustrated because I feel like I've waited so long. I had to get a separate credit card number temporarily to use for the Ukraine purchase because I wasn't sure it wasn't a scam. Mm. And John grabs the PSP Go and he's like, I've never played with one of these. And he's playing around with it and it just turns on. And I'm like, all right, well, so I grab it. I charge it up. I'm so excited. I was so relieved. That, and now it's been working fine, and we're not we're knocking on wood. We're not going to fuck with that. But I will say I have been playing the original Persona, which was remade for PSP. Mm. Um, and I have played Persona 4 and 5, so I'm not, like, completely new to the idea of the games. But the first two games are very different. And I was like, let's just see if these are at all, like, I don't know, if, if I get into it. Because I do like the later games. And... I am so obsessed with the original Persona game for PSP. It is got my brain... First of all, I love the PSP Go. Obsessed with this device. I think it's perfect. I think we never should have turned away from it. Uh-huh. Um, but I also think I love this game. And it's got a hold on me the way that, like, the original Pokemon or, like, Final Fantasy VII had a hold on me when I was younger. Which is, like, I cannot put this down. I'm playing it during TV shows. I'm playing it on the bus. I'm playing it, like, during my... John brings me lunch and I put close my laptop for the 15 minutes or whatever. I fucking whip it out. I am obsessed with this game. And so I have to tell everybody, 
you can definitely emulate it. You know, Google how to do that. Uh, go to inputmag.com. We have a great guide on emulation. Um, wow. Wow. Uh, but go find out how to play it. It is so good. Like, it's dark and fucking weird. And the gameplay loop is really addicting. Um, I'm now stuck. I do have to level up a bunch Just of my cheat. characters. Just cheat. <laughs> Just cheat, man. Take it from me. Don't pay. Don't suffer. Cheat. But I love it, and I just wanted to give a shout out to the original Persona game. Um, well, the remake. Uh, I think I'm to the PSP Go. I'm 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 qualifying my cheating, but I will say like uh, I think if you've if you've done if you've if you've tried really hard to do something, you just can't. It's okay. To or give if you in. understand the gameplay mechanics, but you're like, I don't want to do this for another seven hours to get here. No, exactly. I think it's I, like all right. Skip. No, it. I think sometimes you just got to check the box and. Uh, and uh, then move on uh, with your, you know, with your life. I just want to mention this thing. I I finally got access to Beeper. Do you remember Beeper? Oh, it yeah. was a it was the the founder of Peb the Pebble smartwatch started this new company called Beeper, and it is like a uh, you know it was kind of like it's built as the holy grail sort of messaging solution and it is like kind of a, you know a little wink to palm you know to web os where they had this sort of combined um all of your kind of chats and and sort of messaging communications in one stream where you could like intermingle you know you'd like okay so it's like laura's messaging me on three different services but like i can see them all grouped together or i can see all of those messages in one place and you know and and in addition they're also uh they've also created a way to get to do iMessage on a non-Apple device using a computer as a relay for now. And then eventually they're going to have, soon they're going to have some kind of cloud option, which this app AirMessage already does for Android and actually does it quite well, uh, actually very well. Um, but you still need to use your, you still need to use a system somewhere, a computer somewhere as a relay. I happen to have lots of Macs laying around, so it's very easy to run one as a, essentially an iMessage server, right, to my other devices. Um so I so I finally got, you know, it was like $100 or something like you know like you could like sign up and you pay 100 bucks or something for your first year. I don't know how much it is. And I finally got access to it and and uh and I, I it's still very early. Uh so I don't want to I don't want to uh give like it's not an official review, but I really really wanted this thing to be great. I was really hoping like to me it makes a lot of sense to have a lot of my like I've got WhatsApp conversations and uh uh signal conversations and and iMessage and um, and, uh, you know, Hangouts or Gchat or whatever the fuck they're calling it now. And it would be great. And then SMS, you know, like particularly my Android phone, I get SMS messages. It'd be great to have a place where all that stuff is kind of like combined. I, I, I will say this, at first glance, it is not, it does not reach holy grail level for what it does. It is, it is like really rough around the edges. Uh, and I'm very disappointed. And I don't know, I mean, maybe it'll get better. Uh, maybe more people using it will help to kind of refine it. But like one of the big ones that I thought was like just a weird miss is anyhow, it's like he has all your chats and these like separate columns, like, yeah, they're in the same app, but then they're kind of in their own set of lists, which is like, not sure this is a huge improvement over my notifications panel. It's basically like a different notifications panel, but like, but one of the things I thought was really strange and, and it kind of just reminded me of like how great WebOS got certain things. Of course, it was a different era was like, it didn't. It doesn't look at all of your contacts and go like, oh, this person's the same person, you know? It basically has no awareness of the other surface. Yeah. So like I could have like a Slack message from you and a text message from you and an iMessage from you and a, a Hangout from you. 
and like your five Ryans have something. And your and your phone number and email address could be in every represented in every contact for every one of those services, but it doesn't like connect them, which to me is like the point. Such a weird, yeah, such a weird that's miss. The point, like Yolanda, that it feels like that's the point. Yeah. Anyhow, I just want to mention that not a big deal. I mean, people should go check it out if it's available. I mean, it's an interesting alternative to some of the other things that are out there. But but I'm hoping they can make it better. I just don't know if I'm like, I don't know. I will say AirMessage, kind of an incredible service if you need iMessages on a uh, Android device. And I'm now at the point where I could, with the new FaceTime stuff, I could probably stop using my iPhone altogether, um, which I'd like to because I fucking hate it. I'm so And all it took it. was a separate Mac to run as a server. That's all it took. It was just the nerdiest <laughs> shit ever that is so inconvenient. But, well, I mean, you know, this is, but this is, by the way, you know, the other day when Facebook went down, we were talking about Facebook and it was like, uh, also WhatsApp went down and Instagram went down. All these other things went down that rely on those services. And it's like, there is actually a really good argument for a standalone like WhatsApp as a concept, you know, or a signal or, I mean, signals like, the problem with signal and telegram is like, they're so designed around this idea of like privacy and secrecy and like, it just, they're like really not that user-friendly for most people. Like for, for like your parents, they're not gonna be that user-friendly. Um, but there is a really good argument for a service like WhatsApp where you can say, we're all going to be using this chat thing. It's completely agnostic in terms of platform. Like this is a place where anybody who wants to be able to speak to you can speak to you without having to like text you directly or whatever, where we can have group chats and all that stuff. The problem with WhatsApp now is that it's owned by fucking Facebook. That's like its number one problem. And, uh, and that makes it, in my opinion, like, you know, it's it it just feels less secure. It feels less, uh, 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 you know, agnostic. It feels it feels more like it's just going to be a vehicle for more of the Facebook bullshit, which is unfortunate. I still use it, but anyhow, the point is, uh, OS locked messaging services are bullshit. It's my final word on this. Fair enough. Podcast. Fuck BBM. Goodbye. Bye. No, no, no. BBM's cool. <laughs> BBM's the only service I'll use. Well, that is our show for this week. We'll be back next week with more tomorrow. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Uh, though I've just been informed that your family posted about Dave Chappelle on Facebook. <laughs>